And with that, make sure you have your Bibles on hand. We're going to be diving into God's Word today as we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon of all time. I hope that you're being blessed by this message, uh, these messages we've been having uh, through Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, it's really been enriching for me in my spiritual walk. I hope it's done the same for you as well. So we're in Matthew chapter 7, just one verse today, Matthew chapter 7. Verse 6, I ended last Sunday's message by sharing the story of Maria, a young African Christian who was at an international conference, and she was talking with some girls about what they do back in their home countries uh, to share Christ with others. And remember, they asked Maria, what do you do in your church? What do you do in your home country? And she had this amazing response. She said, well, we don't have missions or give pamphlets away. We just send one or two Christian families into a village. And after they have worked and lived there for a while, when people in that village see what Christians are like, they want to be Christians too. Wasn't that encouraging to hear that story of Maria? And I got to thinking about that some more this week, and I, I came to realize it's, it's encouraging to us when we follow Christ well and see that the following of Christ is magnetic for those around us. It can be very attractive to non-believers when they see us live out Christ's honesty and his grace and his mercy and his unconditional love and forgiveness. In our words and in our actions, when people see that, it can really be magnetic. Maria is right. Many people, when they see what committed Christians are like, will want to be Christians too. But sadly, many others won't. Many people won't want to be Christians when they get a taste of what Christians stand for. And they'll want nothing to do with Christianity. As hard as it might be for us to believe, there are some people, many people in fact, who hate Christianity with a passion. And Jesus turns to us in Matthew 7, 6 and says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. I'm calling today's message, Do Not Give Dogs What is Sacred. Well, at first glance, we look at this verse that we just had on the screen here for you, verse 6, and we look at this verse and it doesn't seem to jive with what Jesus was saying in the first five verses. The first five verses, remember, Jesus was talking about not judging others until you take care of that plank in your own eye. Uh, Right after this, beginning in verse 7, Jesus is going to be talking about being persistent in our prayer life, to ask, to seek, and to knock, and, and not give up in our prayers. Be persistent. And so this verse doesn't seem to jive with the verses preceding it, doesn't seem to jive with the verses after it. Uh, But actually, if we take a closer look, I think we'll see that it does tie in beautifully with what Jesus has just been saying in the first five verses. I want to remind us of what Jesus said in verse 5. Jesus said this, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. As we saw last week, there is a right way and there is a wrong way to judge. There's a right way and a wrong way. 
When Jesus says in verse 1, do not judge, he was calling out the Pharisees for judging in the wrong way. Uh, They were uh, picking, I should say, nitpicking uh, micro faults and sins in other people while they were completely ignoring the huge sins and faults in their own life. Uh, They were, you know what, kind of unaware of their own self-sin. They were not self-aware. And so their judging was hypocritical and it was selfish. And so as they were nitpicking others and ignoring their own much bigger sins, Jesus says, knock it off. Do not judge. If you are holding others to a much higher moral standard than you're holding yourself, then don't judge at all. But Jesus is equally clear that when we take the plank out of our own eye, when we identify uh, and work with Jesus to get rid of our own sin, the path is clear for us to judge in the right way. We have to make moral judgments. We have to. We must discern right from wrong and good from evil. We need to identify moral failures in others and when necessary, call it to their attention in a humble and loving way, but still call it to their attention. That's the loving thing to do. We must identify false teachers and wolves in sheep's clothing, and we call them out. That's how the church has survived for the last 2,000 years, by taking a stand for truth and calling out error when it was there. Jesus' command, I believe, is pretty clear. Don't judge in the wrong way, but do judge in the right way. That being said, verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Do you see how verse 5 and verse 6 tie together? Verse 6 isn't out in left field. It does tie into verses 1 through 5, but it still leaves us with a really big question. What on earth does it mean? (laughs) What is Jesus talking about, about uh, casting our, our precious things and our sacred things to dogs and casting our pearls to pigs. What does he mean by that? Well, let's see if we can figure out what Jesus means here today. Well, one of the keys to understanding this verse is to understand the structure of this verse. Recognizing that it's structured like a Jewish poem or a Jewish proverb. You've probably noticed as you've read through the the Psalms, Psalms are poems and songs. They don't rhyme, do they? As you've read through the Psalms and Proverbs, you've probably noticed that. And so some would assume that if you were to go back to the original Hebrew language, that those poems would rhyme. But if you were to go back to the Hebrew, you would discover they still don't rhyme because that's not how Hebrew poetry worked. You see, we as uh, English-speaking uh, Americans are used to poetry that usually rhymes. Uh, we're used to a poem sounding kind of like this. Uh, Roses are red, violets are blue, honey is sweet, and so are you. Uh, isn't that sweet? And we have those four lines of the poem. Red ends line one, blue ends line two, and at the end of line two, the last word blue rhymes with the last word in verse four. Blue rhymes with you. Uh, we're used to poems that go like this. Uh, I do not like them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. We like those rhyming poems, but that's not how Hebrew poetry works. So the Psalms don't rhyme. The Proverbs don't rhyme. Instead, in the Hebrew language and in the, the Hebrew culture, 
their poems incorporated what we call parallelism. Hebrew poetry leans heavily on this poetic device called parallelism. And that's a fancy way of saying that in two lines of a poem, the second line will closely parallel the first line. They'll say much the same thing, just in different words. Uh, The most common form that we find in the Psalms is called synonymous parallelism. And that is a mouthful, but it simply means line two is saying much the same thing as line one, just in different words. Uh, A few quick examples. Most popular psalm in all the Bible, 23rd Psalm. Uh, Notice what David says in verse two. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Line one and line two are basically saying the same thing, that God brings me peace and meets my needs. Go down two verses to verse four. David writes, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you see how those two lines say much the same thing, just in different words? What's the basic message of verse four? That God is my protector and he keeps me safe. He keeps me safe. You get the idea. Well, here in Matthew 7, 6, Jesus used a slightly different form of parallelism. It's called introverted parallelism. So that's your $5 word of the day, introverted parallelism. Uh, That's uh, basically saying this. Lines one and two don't necessarily line up. They might line up with a different line. Well, let me give you an example here. Here is the verse that we're looking at today, verse 6. I want you to notice there are four statements in Matthew 7, verse 6. First statement, do not give dogs what is sacred. Second statement, do not throw your pearls to pigs. Third statement, they may trample them under their feet. Number four, and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, if this was like English poetry, we would expect lines one and three to line up, just like the roses are red poem. Remember lines two and four line up, blue and you? That's what we would expect in English poetry. But it's a little bit different with this introverted parallelism. If it was like English poetry, we would read this this way. Do not give dogs what is sacred because they may trample them under their feet. Line two, do not throw your pearls to pigs because they may turn and tear you to pieces. And and that just doesn't register right with us, right? We don't imagine dogs trampling things and, and pigs tearing us to pieces, right? Pigs go oink, oink and just go after their food. They're not necessarily going to, you know, be biting us and devouring us. And so this uses introverted parallelism. Line one actually lines up with verse four, with the fourth line. The second line actually lines up with the third line. So what Jesus is saying is, do not give dogs what is sacred because they may turn and tear you to pieces and do not throw your pearls to pigs because they may trample them under their feet. You see that? And so Jesus is using this poetic device to communicate this message. We're still a little fuzzy on what that message is, but don't worry, we'll get to that. Also, we need to notice the the metaphors Jesus uses here and figure out what he means by these metaphors, particularly the words dogs and pigs and sacred pearl. Let's start with the dogs and the pigs. Now, does anyone think that Jesus was complimenting anyone by calling them dogs and pigs? Obviously, no. Uh, sometimes we tend to gravitate to those words and, and look at this verse as just a big insult. We, we can't get too caught up in dogs and pigs because 
Ultimately, Jesus was speaking this verse to Christians, to followers of Christ. His main message is for you and me. It's not a a message primarily for those who would reject him and his teachings. But who specifically is he referring to? Well, in Jewish culture, dogs were symbols of immorality and vulgarity, and pigs were symbols of self-indulgence and nastiness. So who is Jesus calling a dog or a pig? It seems clear that Jesus is referring to people who not only reject what Jesus stands for, but who attack it and stomp on it. That makes sense, doesn't it? Which leads us to the next metaphor, the metaphor of the pearls. So, what are the sacred pearls of Jesus that are hated and stomped on by many unbelievers? Well, I would suggest to you that these pearls are the truths and also the values that Christ has been communicating to us here in the Sermon on the Mount in the past two chapters. Five examples of sacred pearls. There's more that you can find in these two chapters, but here are five of them. Number one, the word of God. Matthew 5, 17 through 20, when Jesus said, oh, I want you to know that I have not come to abolish the law and prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest dot on an I, not the smallest little cross of a T will be deleted from the law until all of these things have come to pass. And so Jesus takes a stand for the word of God. And so without a doubt, Jesus is saying here, the word of God is a pearl. Wouldn't you agree with that? The word of God is a pearl that we as Christians hold up and we love and we adore and we value and we share with the world. The word of God is the first pearl. Number two, Jesus says human life in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Remember, he speaks out against murder. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not murder anyone. But I tell you, don't harbor anger in your heart because that's like heart murder. Jesus lifts up life. Wouldn't you agree that the sanctity of human life is a pearl that God has called Christians to hold up and to value and to proclaim to a lost and dying world. Number three, biblical marriage and chastity. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter five, verses 27 through 32. He speaks about marriage and makes it clear that a divorce is completely against God's plan. And if we remarry without biblical grounds, we're actually committing adultery. He also talks about chastity as he deals with adultery, making it clear that sexual relations are to be between a man and a woman in marriage committed to one another for life. Wouldn't you agree that chastity and abstinence and biblical traditional marriage between one man and one woman committed to each other for life, those are pearls to be valued and treasured and loved and held up and proclaimed by the church to the world. I think so. Number four, honesty, speaking the truth. Jesus addresses this in Matthew five thirty three through 37. Remember, he says, you got to keep your oaths, but even better than that, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus values honesty and sincerity, especially in relationships and in a court of law. Christians are called to lift up and proclaim the truth. And so that is a beautiful pearl that Jesus himself lifted up, and he calls us to lift up that pearl of speaking the truth. And five, the greatest pearl of all, wouldn't you agree, is Jesus Christ 
and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who lived and died a sacrificial death on the cross and was buried and risen again on the third day. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest pearl of all that we love and we adore and we cherish and we hold up to a lost and dying world. These are all pearls that Jesus Christ lifts up. And he asks us to lift up as well. Committed followers of Jesus Christ will never attack or stomp on these beautiful pearls. Unfortunately, many others will. I want you to listen to these thought-provoking insights from Pastor John Piper. These really were insightful as I read them and meditated on them. I hope they'll be helpful for you as well. He writes, What the New Testament makes clear is that every time that precious pearl, and John Piper is specifically here talking about the greatest pearl, the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ, and the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. He says every time that precious pearl is preached, it will be both believed and reviled. It is to one a fragrance from life, so it is believed, and to one a fragrance from death, so people hate it, And they die because they hate it, according to 2 Corinthians 2.16. He goes on to say, It brings out sheep-like faith, and it also brings out swine-like traveling. Both effects happened when Jesus preached the pearl, and when Paul preached the pearl, and both effects happened when we preached the pearl. The pearl will always be found as precious by some and utterly offensive by others. Think about that. These words are so insightful. The most beautiful pearls in our Christian faith, the most beautiful pearls that Christ lifted up during his ministry will be at the same time loved by some and hated by others. They will be treasured by some and trampled by others. And in this post-Christian world that we live in today, it is inevitable that if you are holding up the true unadulterated pearls that Jesus Christ held up and the apostles held up and faithful followers of Christ have held up for the past 2,000 years, there will be many who hate those pearls. Think about it. As followers of Jesus Christ, we love and treasure the Word of God. This is the most loved book in the world. Every single year, it's the number one New York Times best-selling book, right? We love the Word of God. But at the same time, it is the most hated book in the world. It's the most criticized. It's the most slandered. It's the most despised book in the world. As followers of Jesus Christ, we love human life. We proclaim all human life to be sacred from the point of conception to one's final breath as a gray-haired senior in a convalescent home. We cherish human life and we speak up for the sanctity of human life. But at the same time, many others criticize and despise this stand that we take, especially when it comes to our stance for the unborn child. As followers of Jesus Christ, we love marriage, don't we? And we proclaim a clear message of abstinence. We say, wait until your wedding night. Save sex for marriage. Keep sex within your marriage. And it's not news to you that this beautiful, sacred pearl that we hold up to our world is despised and hated by most people in our nation today. 
As followers of Jesus Christ, we value speaking the truth about right and wrong, about good and evil, about heaven and hell, regardless of whether or not those truths are politically correct. And in response, we are slandered and we are marginalized and we are hated. As followers of Jesus Christ, we treasure and proclaim the greatest pearl of all, the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ himself. We love Jesus. We adore Jesus. We treasure his precious death and his resurrection. But there are so many people in the world who want nothing to do with Jesus. It was less than two years ago that I was performing a funeral. I've, over the last few years, officiated dozens of funerals for families that didn't have a church home. And so the funeral home has me on their call list, and so they'll often reach out to me and say, hey, can you do a funeral on such and such day? And if I'm available, I always try to be there. And so I was doing a funeral, and what I always do before I do a a service is I try to either call or meet with that family in the days leading up to that service. And I always ask them this, ask them this question, uh, would it be okay with you if I share a, a few Bible verses about heaven and what the Bible says about how to get there? And 99% of the time the family says, sure. After all, they've asked for a pastor to officiate the service. They kind of expect it. And so I had met with this family a few days ahead of time. They gave me the green light to share the gospel. And I shared the verse that I almost always share at a funeral. I was there giving this service. And uh, I was sharing John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I was talking about how we have sin that separates us from God, but Jesus has provided grace and mercy and forgiveness to anyone who will reach out and accept him and put him in the driver's seat of their lives. And so I'm sharing this simple gospel message and I looked down at one of the immediate family members who was sitting in the front row and I see him do this number. He was done with it. I was lifting up the greatest pearl in the history of the world, Jesus Christ. And he wanted nothing to do with it. Nothing. Well, now we understand how this verse is structured. We better understand the metaphors, the dogs, the pigs, and the pearls. Now we can tackle the biggest question of all. What is Jesus telling us not to do in this verse? Well, as you might guess, there are a few possibilities that different Christians lean toward. Possibility number one, Jesus is telling us not to speak out publicly about Christianity's most controversial pearls because it will lead to needless criticism and attack. Many Christians lean toward this interpretation of this verse. It's a very popular interpretation today. Many Christians believe that it does more harm than good to quote Scripture or to take a pro-life stance publicly or to speak out against homosexuality or transgenderism or monogamy within marriage publicly. Many Christians believe it's counterproductive to talk about these things. They don't want to talk to teenagers about abstinence because after all, hey, everybody's doing it. It's just going to chase them away. Those who hold to this view believe that we must first lead people to a saving knowledge of Christ and then we should teach them the pearls of truth that we've touched on today. Well, some Christians who hold to this point of view are are very convincing in their arguments and we see as time goes on more and more people gravitating 
toward this view and toward this possibility. But there's another possibility. Jesus is telling us here in Matthew 7, 6, not to beat a dead horse. When someone makes it abundantly clear that he or she despises God's word and doesn't want to hear it, move on. Move on. At times, because we are so passionate about God's word and care so much about a loved one's salvation, we keep handing pearls to individuals who don't want them. We keep on saying, save yourself for your wedding night, and they don't want to hear it. We keep saying, pursue a a heterosexual lifestyle, not a homosexual lifestyle, and they don't want to hear it. We say, don't get a divorce. We say, make church a priority. We say, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And certain individuals want nothing to do with it. They don't want to hear it. Time and again, that person snatches these pearls out of our hands and stomps on them and then verbally comes and tears us to pieces. Jesus says, take the hint. Move on. Keep praying for them. Keep loving them unconditionally. But move on. Share your pearls with others who will love and treasure them too. I believe this is the correct interpretation of this verse. Jesus shared publicly. If you look at His ministry recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see this. He shared publicly the most controversial pearls of Christianity. And he taught his apostles to do the same. Some people in the crowds accepted and loved his pearls, while others mocked them and stomped on them. But as long as there were at least a few people who received the pearls with a willing heart, Jesus and his followers kept sharing them publicly. However, there were times when Jesus chose to hold his tongue and not share the pearls. For example, when the Pharisees would corner him and try to trick him into saying something that could be grounds for arrest, at times, Jesus refused to answer them. He refused to cast his pearls before before swine. There was no point in defending himself to Pharisees at certain times. It was a waste of his time. Just like Tom Cruise, they couldn't handle the truth. They had no intention of opening their ears to what Jesus was saying Their only intention was to tear him down and to tear his message down. So Jesus held his tongue and he didn't cast his pearls before them. Another example in Luke chapter 10 verses 8 through 12, Jesus uh, taught 72 of his followers before sending them out into other towns. He, He taught them to go into the town and speak peace into the town and share the good news. And he made it very clear if that town makes it clear they don't want to hear it, they want nothing to do with the gospel, they want nothing to do with Jesus. He said, just take off your sandals and wipe the dust off your sandals and move on to the next town. Jesus said, don't waste your time sharing Christ with those who do not want to hear it. In those situations, it would be fruitless to beat a dead horse. So Jesus told them to cut their losses and move on. That makes sense, doesn't it? We have to share the the great pearls of Christianity publicly. Our culture desperately needs to see the pearls. But when individuals in our lives start attacking our pearls more than admiring them, we need to back off. And when we share those pearls publicly and the powers that be are stomping our pearls more than listening to them, we've got to back off. We need to stand down and move on. In those cases, I believe we pray a prayer like this, Lord... I shared your truth with them. Now it's up to you to convict them of the truth. Until you tell me otherwise, I'm going to share your pearls with someone else. 
We all have people around us who despise the pearls of our Christian faith. But that should never dissuade us from lifting these beautiful pearls up for the world to see, especially the greatest pearl of all, the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how bad off our nation would be if there weren't committed, bold Christians who held up these great pearls of our faith for the world to see? Maria's story could also be your story. Certain people around you will criticize your faith and slander your beliefs and attack and stomp on your Savior, but others will hear you talking about those pearls and they'll watch you living out those pearls and for them, it'll be like those people in the town that Maria was referring to. They will see those pearls lived out by you and they will want to be Christians too. One final thought. I really went back and forth about whether or not to share this, but I think God wants me to share it with you. It may get some of you upset, but so be it. I think we need to hear it. When we take a stand for Christ publicly, we need to make sure that we're holding up the right pearls. Let me say this as plainly as I can. Donald Trump is not a pearl. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Barack Obama isn't a pearl either. Millions of Americans want nothing to do with Christianity or the church right now because so many of us have been holding up our favorite of our last two presidents as if he was a pearl. And so, so many in our nation today are equating Christianity and the church with Donald Trump. Others are equating Christianity and the church with Barack Obama. I completely understand in this last election why so many millions of Christians voted for Donald Trump. I get it. It makes sense. Many of his policies lined up beautifully with many of the pearls that we hold dear. The sanctity of human life and traditional marriage and supporting Israel and religious freedom and others. Those are beautiful pearls that Jesus wants us as the church of Jesus Christ to lift up and show to our world. But instead of lifting up and drawing our nation's attention to these beautiful biblical pearls, many of us made the mistake of lifting up and drawing our nation's attention to a man, a very flawed man who has said and done some very disgusting things. And there has been an unexpected fallout. We have turned off people that otherwise would have been open to hearing what the church of Jesus Christ has to say. So, when you lift up these biblical pearls in your little corner of the world, make sure that you are lifting up the pearls that matter most. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for including in your holy word this challenging verse. Thank you, Jesus Christ, even though you knew a lot of us would be confused about it, myself included. Thank you for including it in the Sermon on the Mount anyway. And Lord, it's hard at times to know when to speak up and when not to speak up. But help us, Lord, in our little corner of the world to speak your truth, 
to speak about these pearls. Most importantly, the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ, and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But help us also in our corner of the world to speak up for those things that you value most. Biblical marriage, the sanctity of human life, justice and mercy, truthfulness, righteousness, mercy and forgiveness. Lord, help us to speak up and share these beautiful pearls with a world that desperately needs to see them, to hear them, to experience them. And Lord, when we come across stubborn individuals that don't want to hear it, I pray that we would pray for them, but obey you and move on sharing those pearls with others. Lord, each of us have individuals in our lives who have been so stubborn and have refused to hear the gospel and we want them to be saved. God, we hand them over to you today. We've pointed them to the truth. We've tried to live the truth in front of them and they've still wanted nothing to do with it. God, would you work a miracle in their hearts? They need a miracle. Would you work in their hearts today? And I pray for anyone who may be watching this broadcast today who has been one of those stubborn individuals. And I don't know why they hung on this long, but by the grace of God, they hung on through this service. I pray that you would speak to them right now, that you would soften their hearts and open their minds to the beautiful pearl of great price, Jesus Christ, and help them to see that they have been rejecting the thing that is the most beautiful, uh, the most enviable, uh, the, the most sought after and priceless and precious thing in the universe. And give them a desire to reach out to you once again as Savior and Lord. We love you, Lord. Help us to share yourself and share these other pearls with our world that desperately needs to see them, experience them, and to embrace them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you are here today and you've never made a decision to accept Christ, please make that decision today. It's not complicated. I like to share the ABCs. A, admit that you are a sinner and that you need the Savior, Jesus Christ. B, believe that He died on the cross for your sins so that those sins of yours could be forgiven and you could be made right with our holy God in heaven. And C, choose to follow Jesus Christ beginning today and for the rest of your life. If you've made that decision, please reach out to one of our prayer counselors. Their name and phone number is on the screen below. Reach out to one of them right now. Let them know you've made a decision to accept Christ. And we'd love to talk to you about getting baptized. To make it clear to God, the angels, and anyone that's watching, I am serious about this decision. I'm following Christ from now on. Maybe you're just going through some stuff and you need prayer. We've got a lot of people in our church going through stuff. Our prayer counselors are available for you too. You call or text them if they can pray with you right now. So if you are uh, not going to be joining us uh, for communion in just a moment, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for being with us today in our worship service online. Uh, you're always welcome to join us in person, 9 o'clock, any Sunday morning at our George Boulevard location. If there's anything that I or our staff or elders can do for you, please reach out to us by phone or email at any time. We'd love to help if we can. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you. And for those of you taking communion, just hold on for a moment and we'll take it together.